This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Welcome, Place to Be Nation pop. I can't believe you're hearing my voice, but you are after all these many months away. And welcome to Traders of the Lost Arks. This is uh, the pilot of our new show. It's our working title, I guess you could say. And it's it's one that uh, has me set up to get wrong multiple times throughout our show, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, more importantly than all of that, we are back. We are talking comics here. Not TV, not movies, not animation, but fucking comics. We're doing it on Place B Nation. Pop! And for as much as comics, you know, really represent my happy place in the world, I can't do all this alone. i got to bring in my compatriots. So we're going to start off first with, he is a man who has the iron will to succeed. He relentlessly badgered me into starting this podcast until I finally caved in. And he knew what he was doing, but uh, you know him better as Sean Kidd. So Hello. Good evening, and it's great to have kind of the band back together doing something a little different. It's great to be on another comics pod. And yes, I did uh, badger you, Tim, because mm-hmm. I feel like there's no other person more than me who truly understands the ins and outs of the early like 80s, 90s comics uh, time frame. And I'm very, very happy you agreed to do this pod, so I am very happy to be here. Yeah, I have to admit, um, there are a few things I enjoy in life more than you and I going back and forth in a group chat, alienating our friends, talking about <laughs> comics that no one remembers <laughs> from, exactly. from the 80s and 90s, hence this podcast. But more yeah, on that soon. Hopefully we can alienate our listeners the same way we do in the <laughs> chat as we go through this show. Couldn't have said it better. All right. All right, so next I'm going to bring in, he is the man who has no brain, yet he must think. It's our good friend, Scott Shiflett. So, Schiff, I want to know, um, kind of jumping off that, that last discussion topic with Sean, what is your over-under on the number of episodes before you rage quit this show from reading too many just old-ass comics that you hate? Uh, it was almost a half an episode. Um, uh-huh. From what, from what we have tonight as it was uh so i'd heard you mention the story before I, I know we'll get into it and i was like and like you're usually pretty good with like because I'll, I'll hit you and sean up for like recommendations for stories to read and yes. uh we read this one and, and i was like oh this is gonna be good and uh, <laughs> it really it's definitely a product of its time i'll say this yeah. um but no i it's uh yeah, we're lucky we we made it to episode uh, one because, like you said, uh, Sean was you know the one on the on the train for this to for all of us to do this podcast, and you know he knew once he got you on board, like you know me and Andy were coming regardless. Yeah, he was kind of the secret conductor, the man behind the curtain for sure. And I mean, you've had an impressive reading list of of comics that you're getting caught up on. Some really great comics, some really important comics, some event comics. Uh, this was not on the list, I know, <laughs> so I appreciate you for being a trooper and uh, and sticking it out uh, for at least one episode so far, anyway. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was a, it was a long um, six or seven issues that I read here. <laughs> Excellent. All right, finally, 
We have someone who I wasn't even sure that he would be joining us on this little endeavor, but uh, his dedication is admirable. He's a true student of the game, and uh, he's really the guy who makes all of this possible. And he is the proprietor of Pop, Andy Atherton. Andy, is it safe to say you are going to be a regular fixture on this show, or are you now ready to bow out after already reading this first part as well? Uh, I was ready to bow out um, when Sean started saying, let's do a comics pod. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Now, I almost said PlayStation Pop Experience, Welcome Pop Goes to the Couch, but it's you're here, Sean's here, Scott's here. This is weird to me. Like, I'm not in the right Uh seat. We're not in the right studio. I've got my iPad with Marvel Unlimited open. This is new territory, Uncharted. I am, I guess, as close to a comics virgin, as you could say. I, I'm going to pop my cherry with you guys. Um, mm. Look, anything that involves the four of us, I'm all in. I've always kind of wanted to read comics. I've just um, had, I've never really have. I mean, I've mentioned that I've read some Transformers and G.I. Joe comics. I probably have read a handful of comics here and there. I just can't remember. But for me, it, it, it comics is like... And I, by the way, I resemble a lot of the remarks you guys had, like, you know, alienating somebody and all that. I sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to let them go. Let them, let them have their fun. And and I'll chime in when they actually mention something I, I can remark mm-hmm. about. But, but um, it, comics to me, it's it's kind of overwhelming in a way because there's so yeah. many out there. And like, where do I start? Which one? Which one's the best one? You know, it's like I want to use my time reading comics wisely and i, I don't want to waste it on on well, garbage Andy, clearly you did that for tonight's episode yes I did. yes yes um <laughs> but no i it, to me it's kind of like the comics equivalent of the jeff learns wrestling podcast where i'm here to to um you know read along and and, and listen and and be as much of a as the audience as, as a panelist on the show it's just being part of the conversation and, and learning firsthand about these, these these comics and and just kind of uh, being along for the ride, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think I, people like me and Sean sort of take for granted that everyone just like naturally knows how to read comics. And, and I know that sounds like a <laughs> condescending statement like if, if I was that so old, a little dickish yes but no i mean it's like it's it's like well of course i know how to read well yes you know how to read um you can read words on a page but it's like it it is an art form and a medium that like kind of has its own grammar right its own structure its own oh, yeah. language and and you kind of and it is i mean certainly you get outside of just the existence of a comic book itself and look at the the wider <laughs> world around it and yeah you get a little bit stuck in terms of where do i even start with all of this so i appreciate having you along to not only just participate in the show but also kind of just learn how to read comics at the same time and, and i don't mean that um, i know i i completely get it in a it, it took shitty me, way it, it took me a little while to really get into it so to mm-hmm. speak like mm-hmm. Because it goes against, as you know, somebody who, who you know, I, I did minor in, in English writing in college. And as somebody yeah. who has written, you know, pro- actually has written some stuff professionally and and, you know, write screenplays in my spare time. It goes against everything I've learned, like a lot of it, stuff in here. So my brain 
was having like a wrestling match with itself <laughs> at times, but I was just trying to understand, you know, who the, you know, you know every medium has to serve its purpose. Like, you know, for, for a screenplay, it's all about, you know, it's show, don't tell. Here it's, it's show, tell. You have to really tell what the people are mm-hmm. thinking the whole time. It's, yeah, it, you it, have literal a, word balloons. Yeah, yeah, you're, it, you're it, getting their thoughts, and that's it, just and a convention the, of. At least it used to be a convention of the medium, not so much anymore. But and, follow, and following the order yeah. of of what goes in what order on a page when it's kind of like, you know, the yeah. panels are kind of out of whack a little bit, and the bubbles yep. are in different spots. It's kind. Of, wait, wait. <laughs> a couple of times I had to go back and reread things because I'm like, did I read that in the wrong order? So no, it, it's definitely you know takes some getting used to, but. I, it it's at the end of the day it it was fun i i had i had fun reading it that's and that's kind of what what i was hoping for well glad to hear it um so you're wondering you know maybe you're you're asking how does the how does this podcast even come to be well like i said it's just kind of general banter back and forth in our group chats like Sean would say, hey, we need to start a comics podcast. And I'm somebody who has done comics podcast before. I really enjoy it. I think um, for me, I'm kind of like at the opposite end of that spectrum as Andy, where I'm like, I love comics so much that it's, it's sort of like the analogy of you have a favorite child. And you're not supposed to admit that you have a favorite child, but <laughs> but you do. And all of your other children, in my case, um, all of my other interests and hobbies just kind of sit there um, in great envy of the fact that uh, comics are always going to be number one in terms of the pecking order of my interests, my my priorities, what I um, choose for, for my entertainment. Like, it's always going to be comics. They're just number one for me. It's, like I said, it, it's my happy place. So... To do, to do this podcast, it, I, I kid, but it I, it did not take much convincing from Sean or anyone to really agree to well, pull the trigger here. Well, I will say, Tim, though, it didn't take much convincing. I think what was important to you, and I think what's important to us, is like we all, we were kept bantering, is like, how do you differentiate a comics pod and make it different from the other comic stuff that's out there? And mm-hmm. I think that's what took a lot of the convincing for you is because you want it to be something different, not the same old, same old. Like you and I have done a comics pod previously, which we almost went too out of the way in terms of how different we tried it to make. And it's like, how do you find that balance? And I think that's what was trying to make you feel better about doing this is you want yeah. it to be different at the same time, a balance and not being over the top, I think is kind of what you were looking for. So it was all about making Tim happy to get him to do this. <laughs> it really was. Well, and. <laughs> Hence the topic of our first episode. Here. Yes, exactly. Um, if you're wondering why we are talking about this, um, just in terms of the types of comics we're going to cover on this podcast, um, I think ideally this pilot is kind of representative in that it's it's a story that was really infamous for its time, but it's since been kind of lost to time. Um, at, at least I think in terms of more casual fans like if if you were reading comics at the time even if you didn't read this particular story which we're going to get into soon um you at least heard of it and thought they did what um that sounds real crazy and you know if if you weren't reading comics at the time and you kind of came into the the field a little bit later you probably never even heard of this and that's very much to be expected um but we're not going to be exclusively mining the obscure you know we i i think um 
we've kind of already talked about maybe shining a spotlight on some celebrated creative runs in comics, uh, just from different series. So they may be relatively well known, but you know, if, if they're from a, a bygone era, I think they're kind of fair game. So, um, it's going to be mostly Marvel and DC. Um, let's be honest. We are who we are, but I'd say not exclusively. And, um, I mean, I've already got some ideas that we could get into from other publishers, but, uh, suffice to say, I, I don't know. My feeling is probably nothing less than 10 years old would be talked about on this podcast, but basically anything more than 10 years old is, is probably fair game. So field is pretty, pretty open. Um, would you feel the same about that, Sean? Yeah, listen, I would say the premise really of this whole pod is, you know, obviously the title, which again, like you all probably screw up a million times in this pilot is, we wanted to go back and look at some of the arcs over the course of history. And I would probably say to your point, probably nothing is going to be older than 10 years at this point. But there's a lot of like lost arcs, famous arcs, individual arcs. I think the one you picked tonight is a perfect example. When we say traders of the lost arcs, I really think this mm-hmm. one is it, but for that time period it's in, this is a pretty infamous story that you chose tonight. And I probably out of me and you probably finally remember this and full transparency. I had never read it. So okay. it was pretty exciting for me to go back and read this based on the time frame where I was reading a lot of comics and this just happened to be one I didn't. So this is pretty cool actually, I think so. Yeah. So, all right. What exactly are we covering here? It is Captain America volume one issues 402 through 408. Um, the official title for this is called Man and Wolf. It is uh, seven parts of a six-part story. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, we'll have to get into that also. I'm not sure exactly why structurally they did what they did. But um, anyway, this is otherwise and somewhat derisively known simply as Cap Wolf. Uh, it's a story where Captain America gets turned into a werewolf. Um, your public publication dates... These are going to be issues cover dated early July 1991 through October 1992. It is a bi-weekly summer story. So that had become something of a Captain America tradition starting from uh, the late 80s into the early 90s. Um, In real time, these issues would have been released every two weeks starting from like early May through October-ish thereabouts. Um, creative team, all issues written by Mark Grunewald, the late, great Mark Grunewald, uh, penciled by Rick Levins, who has since, uh, departed this world as well, sadly. Um, variety of anchors here, Danny Belandi, Don Hudson, Ray Crissing, and Steve Alexandrov. Letters, Joe Rosen, colorist, Gina Going, and George Rousseau. Uh, editor is Ralph Macchio, the karate kid himself. Um, <laughs> the longtime Marvel editor, Ralph Macchio, no relation. That, by the way, uh, that did used to mess me up whenever I would see yeah. his name. I'm like, I'd be like, really? That guy? I think it I, messed a lot of people up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it got me because in one of um, the issues, there is a uh, bad guy that sort of looks like John Kreese. So, like, mm. I saw that. <laughs> I don't think I know who you're talking about. And, and I laughed, and then I got to the end when it had, like, the letter to the editor, and it said Ralph Macchio. And I was like, what? What's going on right now? And I thought it was, like, some, like, inside joke 
or something. I was like, it's a weird joke to be making in the early 90s because Karate Kid's like, you know, until it had yeah. like, you know, its return to pop culture was like on the downward trend there in the early 90s. So I was like, that's extremely odd. <laughs> and I was like, what? I well, thought it was a joke. I didn't realize that well, was like a real person. And if you had ever that's seen great. a picture of Ralph, this Ralph Macchio, he looked like he was like almost in the mob and he was very well, he was a big dude, like built guy. So whenever mm-hmm. you see me on this big, huge square head, he looked nothing like the Karate Kid Ralph Macchio <laughs> at all. So, yeah. um, your editor-in-chief at this time is Tom DeFalco. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we picked this to cover for our first episode. Um, mainly because because Sean kept needling me to do a show, and uh, this was my condition for doing the podcast. Uh, but no, I, like I said previously, I think it's kind of a, a very good representative story for what this podcast is going to be. It's one that I've got a lot of personal, sentimental attachment to as well. So just to get in some personal <laughs> recollections here, um, Sean, you said you've never read this story before, so I take it you have no personal <laughs> recollections. Um, uh-uh. Did you remember this at least coming out at the time period? Like, was it on your radar? Yes. So, uh, full disclosure, I have never been a big Captain America comic book reader because he's pretty plain to the point. And I figured there's only so much you could do with a guy who got thawed out of ice, comes into an era he's not familiar with, and he throws a shield. I mean, it's kind of like not to throw stones, but to him, he's probably kind of like my Marvel version of how I feel about DC Superman. Not the I get it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so I didn't read Cap comics. However, that time frame of when they were doing these every two weeks, it wasn't just this one uh, that they were doing. And I know you're probably going to cover some of the other comics that were coming out in this time frame. They were doing a lot of other comics every two weeks. So the main one I was reading at the time would have been X Men. Um, mm-hmm. I was really big into X Men in the early '90s. Um, Obviously, some other stuff came out in the early 90s. Actually, at this point in time, I think Infinity War had just come out. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd started reading that. So, But as far as Captain America, I didn't read a whole lot of Captain America. I saw the cover of... Uh, I did see the cover at a comic book store of Captain America as a wolf. And I'll be honest with you, I'm like, wow, they really hit the shit. Uh, they must be really desperate for stories at the time. <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it. Now, here we are all these years later. We're going to talk about it tonight. So that's kind of where I was at at the time. Yeah. Uh, Schiff, uh, Andy, had, had you ever heard of this uh, this story before? Just from you. Uh, okay. actually, I, like it was like this is kind of an obscure story for me. Um, also, I was only like uh, two or three when the, uh, <laughs> at the yeah, out. at the time. Right. So I wasn't so. in comics then. And and I've been more of a DC uh, comics fan um, in my reading. So, mm-hmm. Tim, I don't remember. Was Star Comics still a thing when this came out? That would have been more of Shift's Alley. When he oh, was at the time. gosh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Star imprint was still around okay. into the early 90s. I think that kind of went the way of uh, Jim Shooter um, with okay. all those like licensed book books for kids and yeah. stuff. Um, so we had no Get Along Gang comics at this point. Not time. really. <laughs> not, I mean, they had comics for kids, but not really like that. Not like they had in the 80s. Um, nothing for you to read at two or three years old at this time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I mean, I was, you know, a little bit older than that, but I mean, I, I loved comics even as, as early as 1992. And I was really getting immersed into that early nineties culture Mm -hmm. of comics collecting. It's one of those things you just kind of had to be there to try to Mm -hmm. explain it. I mean, that could be a podcast on its own, but 
Um, the few comics that I owned at that point in time would have been procured like sometime after their publication, right? So like that first X-Men volume two, like everybody had that, but it's not like I got it the day it came out or anything. Um, so this story <laughs> was really the turning point where I, at, you know, nine years old or whatever, walked into my favorite comic shop and said, I want to pick up the latest issue of Captain America because for whatever reason, I was a weird kid and I really liked Captain America, probably for the same reasons I like Superman, the same reasons you dislike both characters, Sean, and that's fine. Um, and I think that the first issue on the stands at the time would have been part three of this story. So I pretty, pretty easily acquired like the first two parts through that store, that store's just back issue inventory and I just kept following it from there, you know, thanks to like a, the spinner racket at my local food line. Right. Cause that was a thing at the time. Um, and it just hooked me. I mean, like I said, I loved captain America. I loved comics. I loved horror. <laughs> and this story promised me captain America as a werewolf. I didn't need a lot of convincing beyond that. So Andy, you and I have something very, very <laughs> much in common and probably unique in comics in that, this was our, our inter, kind of our comics um, introduction, right? Our, our baptism of fire. If you wow. Like we, we have both now officially started following comics from this storyline, Andy. Nobody can take that can away from us, Tim. It. Nobody can yeah. take that away. No, I mean, I had some awareness of comics. I didn't have a lot of friends that read comics uh, actively. I mean, you know, my dad wasn't in the comics, so it wasn't something that could get passed passed along. We didn't have any kind of like comic book clubs in in, in my high school or anything. We had like baseball card collecting clubs and stuff like that. The, what that was something I was into when I was younger. You know, if we ever decided to do a baseball card show, I could definitely be uh, sitting in your chair. But um, no, it was. Uh, I mean, I, what I know about comics from that era is stuff like I saw in movies. I remember Lost Boys, you know, when mm-hmm. you know that's a very serious book that he's looking for like a Superman number three or whatever it was. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the yeah, comic so, store in that, and he's a comics yeah. geek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all I, I kind of knew were co- some, when when a comics geek was portrayed in in something I was watching. But you know, to to have a story where Captain America is a wolf after you know <laughs> now. Does it, it? It wasn't like shocking. Like, of course they did that. You know, like mm-hmm. why? What? Mm-hmm. What? What didn't they do? There's so many comics out there, and there's only so many stories you could do. Then you know, you're just like, all right, well, let's you know put them on the moon, and there's a, a race living under the moon. Uh, you know, let's let's you know <laughs> Captain Batman America. Did that. Yeah, so <laughs> the it, you know, you, I could probably say anything right now, and one of you guys could tell me a character that did that at some point. Yeah. So I mean, that's so, a healthy way of looking at it. I feel yeah. like. It's it's nothing is gonna shock me. I don't think I'm gonna laugh at stuff because I'm gonna be like whole like wow like because a lot of it too was was them just taking risks and and having like some freedom right from what everything I know about the history of these of some of these companies it was like why not you know why not do this arc you know there and there are different arcs going all the time because comics because the thing I've learned too from from the movies and, and listening to you guys is like, you know, characters die, characters get reinvented. This run, you know, this happened, this run, this happened. It, you don't have to follow one continuous storyline. So you can have fun. You can be crazy. You can be goofy. And, and 
because comics. That's really all. It yeah, because comics. Good yeah. way of putting it. Um, but just to give you a taste of what that 1992 sort of summer comics culture was like, here's an idea of the the offerings that would have been on the stands at the same time period as as the publication of of these uh, seven issues. Okay, so. <laughs> Deep breath. And by the way, we use the awesome resource. It's called uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics. It's uh, www.mikesamazingworld.com. They have a feature called Newsstand where you can go in, put in pretty much any year and month of publication and see all the different comics from all the different publishers um, that you could have found on the newsstand or at your favorite comic shop at that time. So we have a lot of fun with that, or at least I certainly do. Mm-hmm. And I use that to come up with the following, you guys. Uh, we had uh, DC's 1992 annual crossover, Eclipso, The Darkness Within. I know, Schiff, you and I have talked about that a little bit. Um, it's the one that has the little plastic gemstone on, on the front of the first issue that you could literally peel off, although it would damage the comic. Um, so absurd. Weird. Yeah, really weird gimmick. Um the uh, the second installment of Jim Starlin's 1990s cosmic epic, The Infinity War, was being published mm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. John, you mentioned that. Not to be confused with the film The Infinity War. This is quite different and not good. Um, there was an expansion of the Green Lantern franchise uh, with mm. the John Stewart-led series Mosaic. Very mm. kind of unusual uh, series awesome. for him. I'll, I'll, Go ahead. John? No comment. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Now we can. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I said, also, I said also not good. It's what I said. <laughs> I got, sorry. You got cut off. By I thought question. I got no sold. I got cut off. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. We had, on a brighter note, Sean, the, the end of Jim Lee's uh, X-Men run. That's included a Ghost Rider crossover and a Mojo World two-parter. Uh, wow. <laughs> stuff there, well, yeah. What more could you want is the 90s Ghost Rider and 90s X-Men. Wow. Look, huge <laughs> pop properties, yeah. Big uh, A new ongoing Batman series, Shadow of the Bats, uh, made its oh. debut. Yeah, I like that uh, kind of capitalizing on the success of, of Batman Returns in, in film, I'm sure. Uh, the armor, the uh, War Machine armor first appears in Iron Man issue 282. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Dark Horse now, RoboCop versus the Terminator, number one, limited series. Um, what, fan, what, what a fantasy uh, pairing right there. Tim, Tim by the way, Dark Horse, that was a really big deal at the time, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, not to undersell it, and I know if you guys, everyone knows me, I'm always kind of shit on the RoboCop movies. More or less, I did that just to make Tim upset because it's hard to get a rise out of Tim, and that was one of the avenues that, to do that it. That was but, one that did it, yeah. Yeah, but that was a really big, at that time period, those properties for Dark Horse having the Terminator license, like they really maximized those really, really well. They did a great job with that stuff. When you had Frank Miller writing and Walt mm-hmm. Simonson art, I mean, the powerhouse creative team for yep. that. Really big deal. Uh, we've got Spider-Man's 30th anniversary being commemorated with a series of holographic covers. That was for all yes. four 
regular Spidey books might remember that. Yep. Uh, Rob Liefeld's final issue of X-Force came out during this time rather unceremoniously. Now, here's another another one for you, Sean. Rise of the Midnight Suns crossover. Uh, yeah, throughout another, all of those supernatural theme books. Another moment in time, 90s iconic comic, for sure. Yep. Yeah, and that, that saw the launch of a uh, series like Morbius, uh, Spirits of Vengeance, and the Darkhold Redeemers. Mm-hmm. Uh, first wave of Image Comics starts coming out. you got Savage Dragon, Spawn, Shadowhawk, Brigade, which I don't remember at all. And uh, Wildcats covered Action Team. That's pretty yep. uh, special I, right there. I remember that. I, I did read Wildcats. So, um, and Spawn was a big, Spawn was a super, super big deal back then too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the start of Valiant Comics, big line-wide crossover, Unity. I know Valiant was popular with guys who were, I don't know, it was more like the sort of the writer's version of Image is, is kind of how it was pitched as an alternative. So I haven't read a lot of Valiant, but I know it was a big deal for the people who were into it. Um. You get uh, Joe Quesada as penciler and, you know, Marvel's future editor-in-chief. He's making a big splash with the Sword of Asriel miniseries. That's coming out around this time period. Cable spins off into his own two-issue limited series. Uh, And so we are concluding our coverage here right on the heels. So this was not published at the time, but like a month later, (laughs) you're going to get... The X-Men's big 1992 event, Executioner Song, and finally, Death of Superman, like a month oh. later. Oh, wow. You got one really great arc and then one real... I'll just I'll stop. I'm, I'm going to no-sell that. that. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and no-sell <laughs> that. Yeah. And by the way, possibly two we might cover at some point if we continue yeah. after this one episode. Yes. <laughs> we, we shall see. Yeah. Um, I mean, so all of this would have been competing with your comics dollar at the time. What wins out for nine-year-old Tim? Calf Wolf. Um, I don't know what I can say. I don't know what I can say in my defense other than I was nine years old. But look, point being, it was an exciting, exciting time to be a comics fan. Maybe the most exciting time period to be a comics fan in this you know, summer of, of the early 90s here, especially 92 with that uh, that startup of, of image. I mean, that was such a game changer. I, I would tell you, Tim, for me, um, and, you know, I've read comics for a long time and current comics, you know, I have some issues with at least. I read comics pretty consistently, like modern day, up until about 2010 or 2012, whenever Hickman started, which we won't talk about. But um, the 91, 92 comics era was pretty freaking insane. And it's kind of like one of those moments in time that generationally, if you are around, it was as big a deal as anything that was on TV or as big as a deal anything in the movies. Comics is right in there with it. So I just wanted to throw that in there. So, yeah, no doubt. Yep. Um, so getting into Captain America itself, to give you an idea of what this series, what this character was kind of like at the time period. Uh, we mentioned it's written by Mark Grunewald. He'd been on this series since like 1985. So longtime writer here of Captain America um, had a pretty tremendous fan following. He was doing stories that were uh, both will, really well received and also socially relevant. Um, but in the last year or so, the book had kind of taken a dip in quality. And let's face it, that creative well, it's not limitless. So even the best writers, they start to run out of ideas after a while, just like Andy was saying, you know, 
you try everything and then you, you find yourself reaching for more and more. And, um, you know, coincidentally or not, that kind of came at the time that, uh, the new penciler Rick or Richard Levins came on board, um, joining Grunewald, uh, as the artist on this series. Um, I think he replaced Kieran Dwyer who was doing it for a while and also Ron Lim, kind of in that late 80s time frame as well. So um, we mentioned that a lot of Marvel's highest selling titles would adopt this like bi-weekly format, especially during the summer months, just to kind of goose seasonal sales. And uh, you got to keep in mind that, I mean, from the example we just gave, Marvel was churning out a lot of product at this point, just month after month. Liquidity was really important in just financing all the various side projects they had going on and comics you know at this time period that was essentially like printing money just due to that speculator bubble like you could print anything and it would churn a profit because it because it was a comic not because it was good not because it was a character people cared about it just comics were, were just gold back then and, and tim so, I, I would like it to like any marvel property that came out as a film in recent years when it mm-hmm. came out, it made money. Comics in the 90s yeah. are very similar to that, I would say. Yes, yeah. yes. Good comparison. Yeah. Chef, so, what are we going to say? So is this what caused the uh, the comics bubble to burst? Like, are we seeing, starting to see the beginning? We're uh, yeah. we right up against that. We're right up yep. against that. I think most people blame that directly on Death of Superman because oh, no DC, kidding. <laughs> DC really went all in on like selling to the public, hey, you got to get it. You got to get this issue. We're, I mean, they straight up spoiled the story, right? We're killing Superman. Mm-hmm. Here's the issue. It's going to happen. Um, you want to get the, make sure you're lined. In comic stores, we lined up with people buying multiple copies because they thought it was going to be this huge collectible and put their kids through college, right? That That's just going to mm-hmm. shoot up in value. Um, and, and it was just such an artificially inflated market. Um, so th- well, I mean, that by Superman definition... story, Tim, that Superman story was mm. at the time, like, how do you kill fucking Superman? Like in a day and age now yeah. where every hero dies and comes back, that wasn't the case back then, you know, true. Yeah. Phoenix, Phoenix obviously came back, but she died. That was a big deal. But the Superman thing to kill Superman was unheard of. Whatever it was, regardless of how I might've felt about the whole thing, marketing strategy wise, that was freaking an unbelievable thing that DC did with that. It was pretty, it great. was a, yeah, it was a big, big deal. And yeah. I actually I mean, think I own it. That was, I, I, I'm I, sure. I think, think of yeah. back now, I have like um, a bin of like old things from like back years ago. And I, I do believe I have the Death of Superman in there. So it's a big deal. As somebody who didn't read comics, I don't think I ever read it. I just bought it because it was a, it was a thing. Because it was it, like, everybody was buying it. Yeah. Because he thought so he's like, going to put his kids through college. You didn't uh, want to be the one person. Oh, 20, 20 year old. It, when, did, when did it come out? 92, 20 year old Andy was not thinking about that. Trust me. Andy was trying to get himself <laughs> through college at the point. Yeah. And Andy, if someone didn't read Superman, I also bought it because one, I was looking for maybe this will be the one that will get me back into Superman, but also because at the time that was the end thing and you had to own it. So you even had to me, have I had, it. I had, had, had to, to have it. Had yeah. to have it. Yep. And you also had things like gimmick covers where you'd get not only just a first issue being published, which um, was always a pretty big deal for any new series, but it would have multiple covers, like the prime example being that that Jim Lee X-Men. 
And it would be like, oh, make sure you get all five covers, right? Because, you know, it, it was creating this artificial sense of scarcity. And it's or like the Spider Man covers that they did, like you brought up. The, the Spider Man covers, yeah. yeah, the McFarlane Spider Man. Mm-hmm. It was just like, there's no possible, like economically, it's not possible for it. For these things to go up in value because look at the supply runs right we're talking eight million copies sold of that that x-men volume two um you can find that thing in quarter bins today like it, it costs nothing it you know if everybody has it then there's no way it's ever going to be valuable someday but people just bought into the myth and that's where you had just this overheated market that became by definition a bubble and it was soon to burst which i i would say happened officially in 93 and we didn't really feel the effects of it until about 94 95 and then before you know it marvel is declaring bankruptcy in 96 so it's one thing i want to add to that is the other thing that they started doing is like marvel you brought up that uh, the Marvel, the X-Men, what was it? Which one was coming out? Was it Executioner's Execution Song? Executioner's Song was about to be the big one, yeah. And so, they had just lost all of their artists, so. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and that was also one of the first big multi-every X-Men book crossover. That was like their one first really big one, right, if I recall? No, not really. I mean, was, they had been in the habit of doing it annually since I thought, but it was in Massacre. A, in the 80s okay. so but but this one was a little different like i feel like this became more of like a normal thing for them and then they they had x factor they had all these different comics and you got x force into it i feel like the 90s really i know they did it earlier I think it, you, yeah but it really boomed it out in the 90s like jesus christ i mean let's talk about strife who basically just spun out right, of right. like that it, it just became ridiculous at this point in time so. It was the first one of like that artist-driven yes. era of X-Men. Where I mean, it was the first post-Claremont X-Men yes. crossover, which, yeah, that, that was a very different type of story for sure. And, the, and it did become, you know, just the annual, you're going to get that X-Men crossover annually. You could just count on it like clockwork after that. Um, so but again, it's funny you brought are, up the death of Superman. So guess what? Hey, let's kill off Xavier. That was the, that was the other well, thing. Well, yeah, yeah, they yeah. sort of threatened to they sort of threatened to do that. Yep. Um yep. with that story, yeah. Yep. Um so we talked about this this bi-weekly format, right? And um you know, I, I think Mark Grunewald kind of took advantage of that particular publication style to tell increasingly high concept really out there stories and mm. that was really just to keep keep the book running, keep the, you know, keep the trains on time to attract interest during a really high publication frequency. You know, this book is coming out uh, every two weeks. You know, you want to do something to get some eyes on it and get some dollars out of it. And honestly, probably to amuse himself <laughs> in that. I mean, it started in 1989 for Captain America. He had a a uh, storyline called the Bloodstone Hunt, um, continued on into 1990 with this like turf war between kingpin and red skull called streets of poison um <laughs> they did oh my god we have to cover this sometime night 1991 had uh do you remember the superior stratagem uh that's where captain what? america spends superior stratagem so captain america is in drag for much of this story and he is almost <laughs> forcibly changed into a woman by a militant um 
uh, female supremacist. Her name was Superior. Yeah. Oh my god, I gotta read that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the year right before. In a lot of ways, it's even more absurd than Calf Wolf. Um. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that was something. Um, that was kind of the turning point where people were like, "All right, what's Grunewald doing?" Um. <laughs> so after that, he he follows that with with Calf Wolf and is like, "Okay, he's kind of just having some fun here." Um, but I think the bottom line is it is really hard, you guys, to make a comic in 30 days, let alone two weeks. <laughs> so due to these really high production demands of, of biweekly scheduling, the stories were typically going to be done by creators who are outside of the normal series creative team. They would have plenty of lead time to get it done, and then it would just kind of be filled in on the schedule, right, released um, just to give the, the regular creative team a breather. Um, and it would tend to have very little long-term impact on the ongoing, continuing narrative, right? But that was not the case for Mark Grunewald and, and Rick Levins here. They, I guess you could say, stepped up their game <laughs> to meet the uh, deadline challenges. They got a little bit of help from those uh, backup stories that are that run throughout these six, seven issues, where uh, you've got a different artist, at least, for a few pages. Um, but this is the regular writer, regular artist, uh, churning out this book on a very accelerated timeline. Hey, Tim, can I add one thing about Grunewald? Uh-huh. You know, one of the, he th- this guy, uh, so for me, I will tell you, he's worked on some of my favorite comics, like, over the years from a time frame when I was a kid, like, he was part of the first Hawkeyes miniseries, which I know I've talked to you about as one of my favorite miniseries, right? The very first one. He also mm-hmm. did a great run on the Quasar 90s book, which you and I are both huge fans of, I believe, because Quasar yes. is one of those underrated ones that we like. And this guy also, like, I think he was part of the creation of U.S. Like, he's been a part of, he did Squadron Supreme. So this uh-huh. guy has done some iconic comics. So going into this, when Tim picks Cap Wolf, yes, it seems ridiculous, but Grunewald, for me, has a lot of, like, really great stuff that he's done. So I went into this with wide, eyes wide open, pretty enthusiastic. So I wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would think maybe this is done by some hacky writer who never mounted anything, but this is like a celebrated Marvel yes. writer. Like, yes. this is a guy who, who had a reputation for just having an encyclopedic knowledge of Marvel's fictional universe. He was like their their in-house resource for any character or story references. Um I mean, this is a guy who he established the structure of reality itself for the Marvel Universe, right? Governed by all these abstract concepts personified in the form of these cosmic beings that we sometimes see throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe today. He set the rules for how time travel is supposed to work. Like, he he did a lot of that, that sort of heavy lifting, um, wrote uh, the, the great... Um, uh, official handbook to, of the Marvel universe, which are just like character guides um, and model sheets and stuff like that. Um, really just for collectors who are into just into the characters, no matter how obscure. And, um, you know, this is stuff that's been widely exploited throughout the MCU. And I don't know that Grunewald himself gets a ton of credit, um, but as a writer, he is, uh, very much beloved and, and just a tremendous resource and, and credit to his craft. Yeah. Um, sadly, he died in 1996, <clears throat> no longer with us, but 
I mean, this was a, a powerhouse creator, really. Yep. And, um, you know, it, it, I think it kind of benefits this story, Man and Wolf, that it is published right on the heels of uh, another big-time comics event from the 90s. It was called Operation Galactic Storm, a 19-part <laughs> Avengers <Christ>. crossover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that that's a big. I mean, thing. nineteen parts. That's that's nothing now. When you have nothing, like, yeah. When you think about it, when, like I like as you guys are aware, but I'll I'll tell the listeners. I'm um, reading all these different events. I switched back for DC and Marvel events just for the Marvel event for Secret Invasion. Uh, I mean, uh, Secret, yep. Secret Invasion. It's like 124 different comics for the whole event. With I mean, all the, the tie-ins. And yeah, everything. all the tie-ins. So it's like, I mean, these are just like seen as money grabs but 19 i'm like eh, it's not that bad the galactic store was a big deal at the time too by the way mm-hmm. that was a big deal for sure so. and it was pretty well received as i recall at the time like i've read that and i think it's pretty good yeah um, i agree and i mean so that had just concluded uh this starts like an issue later like the last captain america issue of operation galactic storm was like cap 400 and so we're picking up with 402 right so we're getting a nice little tailwind off of that um, that crossover, and uh, you've got um, you've got a case where I guess the creative team doesn't have to put in a lot of effort to get eyes on this series; they're already there. Because when you've got a major crossover like that, you're going to have people who aren't regular readers picking up the book. So if you've already got their attention, if you've already got their dollars, why not roll into the next thing? And uh, in this case, it's going to be a, um, let's say, fairly low stakes uh, bi-weekly romp <laughs> in, in the form of Captain America getting turned into a werewolf, which brings us to the story itself. Finally, we get to dive into the meat of this thing. Um, I don't know, you guys. For, for my part, um, I, I read this story. I, I read these issues cover to cover, again, as a kid off and on throughout the years. Like I, I know it like the back of my hand, I probably could have gone into this blind <laughs> without having reread it. I did go ahead and give it a reread just because I do think you get something out of that. Um, you know, as you age and change as a person revisiting these things and um, you know, my, my thoughts have definitely evolved over the years. I, I see it for what it is now as an adult and um I just think it's, uh, I guess I admire it in a way. I'm, I'm not going to defend it as some great, you know, unheralded story that, that people are overlooking. Um, but I, I think I just appreciate the fact that Grunewald really plays it straight for, for what it is. It's not one of those, I think the the style today is to go, oh, look how stupid we're being, right? To like be so self-conscious of how dumb your story is like look at all the sharknado the the shark it's i I call it the sharknado effect honestly it's like we're gonna make something deliberately stupid just knowingly ironic because that kind of makes us um immune from criticism in a way right if if it's stupid on purpose then you can't call us out for it being stupid and that's not what this is like it yeah it's it's out there it's high concept it's i can you believe they're turning Captain America into a werewolf? But, you know, Grunewald's not trying to 
trying to be wink wink at the camera about it you know he's saying look this is the story (laughs) take it for what it is and i guess i just sort of appreciate that because i think i think it's more difficult to deliver a story like that than one is just that is again just ironically dumb for the sake of being dumb does anyone feel the same or or know what i'm saying here i know what you're saying i I think as we get into it, I might have some deferred opinions. Um, yeah, well, I'm, look, if it's a failure, you can say, look, they tried and failed. And that's fine. Like, I, I guess I just have more appreciation for an interesting failure than, well, you can't even say you, it's review proof, right? You can't even say it's bad because it's supposed to be bad. Like, fuck here's that. what I will say. Here's what I'll say. I will give Marker I will give him credit for doing something very different and very outside the box from a storyline for a character that for the most part has had a pretty standard I'm Captain America, blah blah blah. This is very out there and I gotta give him full credit for thinking through and doing something different. I will give him credit for that. And now mm-hmm. Scott or Andy probably Scott or whatever who wants to talk about it. That's how I feel about it. It's just the beginning. So I think it was just something that's like more of a product of its time i don't think you'll see some a story like that made now Mm -hmm. yeah so like i i just i feel like if you think of it that way but there was times when i was frustrated with this because it just felt like the story went on forever because what i wanted (laughs) from the very beginning was cap wolf and i had to wait until spoiler alert uh the fourth issue yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like Oh my goodness, what took so long? Like also yeah, I love Yeah. Yeah. Um and I, I do have some questions when we get into these issues. But yeah, yeah it was um it was something. I have pretty like, extensive annotations, so I I think I have anticipated and can hopefully answer your questions. But um you make a good point about the pacing, right? Where this is six parts. It's let's say the story is a little thin. For six issues i'm with you there but if you're gonna do six issues you should probably hit the ground running like i don't think we need three issues of cap like on this little um investigation and then part four he turns into a werewolf and then there's like not a lot that happens in that fourth and fifth issue and then six is just kind of balls to the wall plot and it's like, it's just not very well paced. I mean, um, issue one for me was hard because. <laughs> so I mean, get into I, that, please. Yeah, yeah I, I, I did have some in, like, in. what I get myself into thoughts uh, as, I'm, as I was reading the first one. It, it seemed like very like side questy. Like this is like, mm-hmm. this is like, all right, let's, we got to, we have some other thing that we're working on on the side, which I have no clue what the hell, it, what, what it was, but. Let's let's just I, I I just for me I'm I'm picturing like a writer's room like okay well we got this over here let's 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 send Cap over here and then all of a sudden like when characters start showing up I'm like what I I was like you know that part <laughs> yeah. of the Lion King when Timon was trying to put together Nala like what Nala and Simba's like friendship he's like all right so you know him he knows you but he's you want to eat him and everybody's okay what's going on that, right. that was kind of me in my head as a like mm. what. I, like, like this is like, where is Beast coming out? No, wait, wait. Where'd Wolverine go? What the fuck is Cable doing here? It's like that, that like as like a as a as a, uh, a yeah. noob, I was kind of like, 
I, I, I had no idea who the hell was going to show up next. It was like, who's behind, who's behind panel number three now? Like, like let's, <laughs> let's, let's go. Come on. Right. No, you're I, absolutely right. He is very right. And I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit. I felt like the first episode, I think I said this in our free chat. He was like the brother in something about Mary. Cause he was looking for, <laughs> going around looking for, Jonah Jameson's son, I guess, who was the pilot for the Avengers. Is that right, Tim? Is that where I'm getting right? John Jameson, who is J. Jonah Jameson's astronaut son, um, who used to be a werewolf in the 70s. He got better. So he's gone missing. He's gone missing. Has gone missing. And he went missing a few issues before this this whole thing started. And they kind of touch on that at the very end in the epilogue. But he has gone missing. Um, this is at a time period where Cap, the Avengers as as a whole, have like this entire civilian support staff of various characters. Cap himself has has like his own sort of personal staff as well. And John Jameson was his pilot um, for many years. Yeah, so, so he has whole he's one of Captain America's many missing friends apparently, which yeah, is something Diamond that's Pat very is another one. But yeah, she's. He just found uh, D-Man who was missing for... It was like, how many fucking way, friends does he have? D-Man. I mean, so the whole first issue... Yeah, oh my really God. Going to Andy's point, it's like, well, who's behind box number one, box number two, mm-hmm. box number three? Mm-hmm. And he's going to everybody saying, hey, it's like the brother, like I said, it's something about, have you seen my baseball? Well, instead he's asking, <laughs> have, you seen Todd, have you seen Jonah Jameson? That's oh really what God. he does. I mean, think about the yeah. comparison. It's the same. It's kind of the same thing. I know I'm making a joke, but it's really how well, it is. It's yeah, it's like a waste almost. I think the reason for that, and by the way, I feel like they could do, at this point, an omnibus collection of Captain America and his missing friends. Because it's just, I don't know why, but like you said, Diamondback gets kidnapped by Crossbones. And again, happens in issues preceding this, but that's tracked in the form of a backup story that runs yes. throughout all of these issues which well at least they I pay that angle off for reading, but so, in a lot of ways it's kind of more interesting <laughs> than the capital i actually thought it was i thought it told a better story to be honest uh, yeah we're not supposed to be talking about it but yeah um that's fine um they wrap that up in the two issues following this if um you were so enthralled by reading these Captain America issues that you just want to keep going. Uh, the next two issues of the series are devoted to wrapping up that whole thing with crossbones and, and Diamondback and all the, um, the palace intrigue with the skeleton crew and Red Skull and all, all that stuff, um, which I really dig, actually. I, I just love scheming villains trying to out-scheme one another and uh, Cutthroat having the hots for <laughs> Mother Knight. Who, like, oh, just the most stupid, ridiculous, obscure characters, but they have, like, this rich interior life because that's how Mark Grunewald writes everyone. Um, so I was kind of getting into that stuff. I'm not going to lie. Uh, very soap operatic. Um, very, very serialized. And that's kind of the story of of this book in the 80s and early 90s. It just had... It had no regard whatsoever for, hey, this story might be collecting in trade paperback one day. Maybe you want to put some effort into this is a discrete four-part or six-part story. Nope. 
This story is going to be um, six issues with the conclusions spilling into a seventh, and then we're going to start a new story in that seventh issue that's going to run for two more issues, and we're going to start a new story. I, like, it just is wham, 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 wham. Just all it cares about is filling up the, the page count um, that's in front of me for this month and telling whatever story, whatever amount of story I can tell within those pages Whatever I don't get to, we'll just spill it right on into the next month. Like, it just does not care about pacing. It does not care about collectability as a trade paperback or, or future omnibus or anything like that. Just because comics weren't collected that way back then. It was all just month to month to month. And that's that was the quick hits you were getting from comics. They weren't. They weren't designed to be high art, I guess is the way of looking at it. And that goes back to Schiff, your point, very much a product of its time, right? We think of comics today as every story has to be like important. It has to be good. It has to say something about the character. It has to be memorable. And back then, they just didn't give a shit about it. It was just like, look, man, if this story doesn't work for you, hopefully you'll like the next one better, you know? You like the characters enough, you'll keep reading. They can't all be winners, you know. And it that was, might actually make it better for me, actually, because I, I mean, think that's way, part of the attraction. Yeah. yeah, because you know, modern day comics. You know, you guys know how I feel about some of the. I feel like it, they go out of their way to be super. You have to be super intellect to really figure them out sometimes, and that's the beauty of some of these time frame ones is you really don't have to have any intellect to really like them, to be honest. Yeah, it's like there's a sense that these creators don't have the kind of, I don't know how to say this, like ego about what they're doing. Maybe ambition is a better way to put it, as as modern creators who all kind of want to put their stamp on that character, right? And I totally respect that but this is when comics are thought of as this is a craft right this is somebody's day-to-day job so think about when you do your job on an average day you're neither doing your best work nor your worst work um it's gonna be somewhere in the middle and that's sort of what the average comic was like especially what, by... is this my year in review <laughs> 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 and you also had creators with no empathy um no uh <laughs> But, I mean, it was like, with a long-running creative team like this, they knew that they weren't all going to be winners. They were all just, they had a job to do. And, and they weren't so much concerned with making art as they were with making a living. And I, I, I think that just produces a very different kind of comic, for better or worse. And in this case, it gave us a very, very serialized kind of comic. That's what... Grunewald's Captain America was, again, very soap opera-ish. Um, and that's where you get, you just get all of these little storylines weaving in and out of each other. All of these, you know, these backup stories were a hallmark of the time period. You don't really see a lot of backup stories nowadays. That's kind of more of a rarity. Um, you get subplots going in and out of, of each book. Um, characters come and go. It's just... That was just the model at the time. Just this was a very, very conventional sort of comic for 1990. When you got, when you pulled back from the big events, from the major debuts, when you just checked in on, here's a long-running series with a really recognizable character. It's neither the highest seller nor the lowest seller in the world. This is what that comic kind of looked like. 
on on a normal day-to-day basis and this so happens to be one that is told through a rather high concept again this bi-weekly summer format um, where it's coming out more often um, they're doing something a little bit balls to the wall plot wise but you know in terms of the format it's still um, as you said shift a product of its time so uh, yeah the story I, I think is hindered by some of that um, certainly has its flaws um, but you know I, I, I think it has its its merits as well um, you talk about that first issue being sort of fetch questy where you're just going from place to place to place and I think that's just Grunewald trying to put in the work to get you to the point where all right our elevator pitch is Captain America turns into a werewolf how do we get him to that point? So he's got to necessarily go through a lot of setup. Um, I suppose you could have just started like, you know, Immediate res where like, okay, Captain America's a werewolf. We'll fill in the details <laughs> as we go along and we'll catch you up. That may have been one approach, but you know, he took more of a, a conventional style to the narrative where it's like, we've got to get Cap to this, you know, this town in, in uh, fucking rural Massachusetts, what do they call it, Starksboro? Yeah, um, yeah. That is going to be populated by werewolves. Why does Captain America care about uh, werewolf murders on the news? Well, his missing pilot um, used to be a werewolf. Um, when he came back from a, a mission as an astronaut with something called the uh, moon gym, which we learn what the moon gym <laughs> is throughout the course of this. And that turned him into a character called man wolf for a while. Maybe there's a connection here. So, so that's he's what I was trying to figure trying out initially, thread. Tim, is like, yeah. hey, I'm an astronaut. I go to the moon. Hey, who knew you yep. could go to the moon and it'll make you a werewolf when you come back? <laughs> like, well, yeah, if you bring back the, the moon gym, you got to bring <laughs> so, back the moon gym. So know. was Neil Armstrong a werewolf? Like He what, didn't what? bring back the moon gym, so now uh, he didn't get exposed. But what about the moon gem made people go? Like, there's so many questions I have, and I know we probably don't have enough it's time. Just, but it, because it was the 70s is the only answer <laughs> right. I can give you. Okay. All right. Um, well, and it's, I mean, it's just one of those weird kind of redundant um, occult items that populate the Marvel Universe, right? And Captain Merrick even talks about this within the story. And I think mm-hmm. that is Grunewald trying, like, to resist his obsession of, of tying things, tying like things together where Captain America is talking about the moon gym and he goes, Hmm, I wonder if that's any connection to the bloodstone, which is another thing. <laughs> and is that any connection to, to the, the moon stone, not to be confused with the moon gym that some supervillain gets her powers for like, and it's like, Oh man, is he really going somewhere with all this? Not and, to be confused with the moon hunter, who is one of the villains. Right. <laughs> and not to be confused with the infinity gems, which are, you know, the infinity stones in the MC. Like, it's just, it's a I lot, just learned right? what the bloodstone was in, in world of night. What the exactly rocks right? at me now. Jesus. And yeah. you should really study your stones and gems. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, so the bloodstone is featured in werewolf by night. The, yes. The great Disney Plus special. I was so glad that came out when it did because I'm like, oh, that's sort of nice timing. We're going to be doing really this podcast was. talking about werewolves. And it's like, you would think it's the same thing, right? But it's like, 
Oh, no, like, it's, the Bloodstone is something totally different, but that special just happened to include this werewolf character, and really the Moon Gem is something else, and that's tied to a different werewolf character, (laughs) which, I mean, I understand, I completely understand your confusion, Andy, because uh, Marvel has two prominent uh, werewolf characters who are barely featured in the story like john jameson finally turns up at the end um and then we get the we get a reveal that uh one of the more gnarly looking werewolves he looks like something out of the howling is um is jack russell i can't believe that's what his name is but jack russell uh the werewolf by night who was created in the 70s so and he's such an afterthought in this story by he the way. really is yeah yes. i mean well, both of them kind of are Comics has like this, um, it's like a trope they go on where it's like, I'm the second smartest man in, in, in the world. Like, you know, I'm, I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading the DC one right now. And Mr. Terrific says that. And we, when we see Dr. Druid, he's like, I'm the second most leading, you know, person here. And it's like, yeah. Hey, I'm right. a great value. Dr. Strange, because we didn't want to really put is. Dr. Strange in this story. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. So it's Love like, it. what? Like, it's just one of those things where, like, I, I've noticed that because I've read some 90s and early 2000s comics, and that's, like, their go-to. It's, like, I'm the second, like, it's just, like, well, why would you say that? I would say, like, yeah, I'm number one in what I do, guys. Like, this, this right, is me. Right, hmm It's just, but, again, one of those things where there are so many redundant concepts. There are so many redundant characters. People don't even realize, like... The MCU has barely scratched the surface of the Marvel character library, and it's because of stuff like this. Like, I can't imagine you're going to see a Dr. Druid in the MCU unless he's done as a joke, right? Unless he's done to point out, like, how much cooler Dr. Strange is or as some kind of rival. I I mean, I kind of like him, too. When I was reading Avengers, like, really, like, he was a big part of the Avengers for a long time. So I always, I think I read Mm. more of him than Dr. Strange. And even though I knew Strange was the bigger deal, Druid is part of the Avengers for me. It just became part of a natural thing, unfortunately. So I don't mind him. But I also do yeah. know he's very much a great value version of Doctor Strange. That I right, you, you that. recognize yeah. that. Yeah. yeah well, and it's kind of interesting because he is described as um, a character who is, like, what differentiates him from Strange is that he is a mystic, but he's not a sorcerer. Which you're thinking, mm-hmm. what the hell is the difference? And it's like, well... He can't, like, cast spells from a book and stuff like that that you would see Doctor Strange do, but he can, he, like, has, like, mild telepathy and telekinesis, and he can hypnotize people and mesmerize people, and he can sense magic and sort of has all these little defenses against magic, and he has these little occult trinkets and stuff like that, but he's he's not a spellcaster, he's not, like, a magician the way dr strange is well um, if you're in those mystic arts in the 90s and your name is dr something you must have black hair in the goatee though that is kind of their <laughs> that is that's <laughs> kind of true that is required yes, yes. And he's and, anthony uh, by yeah. the way same as anthony Stark. Druid. yes so, yes uh, right yeah I, yes I, I, and yes. he's really good at staring too i know this. yes <laughs> very and he and he really rocks the long hair look too by the way <laughs> nice that differentiates him from strange he's got the long black flowing hair in the back I, pick, I picture like we have yeah. this 
we have this story and we want to use this character. Oh, you guys can't have him. All right, well, let's make up a character. Let's take a little of this. Let's take a little of that. And let's make the, it's, it's kind of like build your own hero kind of thing. It's it's like like a let's let's Frankenstein this because we need we okay we need Cap this for Cap and now well who can we plug in here? All right, well Doctor Druid, why not? Mm-hmm. When well, I but remember like, during that um, Avengers run, Druid was like kind of this older man. He sort of um, yes. He sort of looked like Salman Rushdie. <laughs> yeah, let's describe Very much so. Just he had the white in his beard, I believe, right, Tim? I think there was some yeah, white. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. He was bald, and he just yes. had sort of the hair on the sides. Um, and he's sort of an asshole. Yes. And he ended up um, betraying the team. Like, he was responsible for – he manipulated everybody's minds and became leader of the team and then disbanded the Avengers because he was being mentally controlled by – Get ready for it. The Terminatrix. That was Ravona Renslayer, you might remember from Loki yes. on Disney+. Yes. Plus. Yeah. yeah. So that was a whole thing. And then, you know, he was on the outs with the team after that. At this point, it's like where you're thinking, he doesn't look like Salman Rushdie here. He kind of looks more like Tony Stark. that story happened before Catwolf, right? Oh, yeah. That was in the 80s. So, yeah. Which makes it even more complex, perplexing that Cap just kind of walks in until he just forgives him and just, he's the, he's just like, ah, oh, hey, no big deal. Let's he, had, yeah. he had kind of been redeemed through some yeah. other stories in between. He had also been de aged, um, yes. which I guess they didn't want this gross old man magician character running around. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess they thought that that would make him more usable or, or marketable if, um, they de-aged him and gave him more, a more youthful experience, a more youthful appearance, excuse me, which they did. And so he's kind of back in the good graces of the Avengers and Cap here. Um, and this other guy, the villain, the, who they have the uh, the staring contest with, as Andy, you pointed out, uh, that's a guy who's called, throughout this story, he's called Dreadman Druid or Druid Cromwell. These names kill me, by the way. I know. It, I, honestly, and he is a fucking 60s Nick Fury villain who was originally just known as the Druid. So I'm telling you, this is Mark Grunewald going, oh, let me put both Druid characters in the same story and have them fight each other. Just, again, for his own amusement, I'm sure. Like, mm-hmm. just to, just seeing if anyone would notice, right? Like, We've got Dr. Druid, and we've got uh, this other guy who used to be called just the Druid. We'll call him something else, but if you know, you know, right? Mm. And that's I, I think that's why we have these two characters in play like that. And, yes, they do have a stare-off, which is very <laughs> funny. But, like, going back to issue one, like, Wolverine shows up randomly he does well you must have all the wolf characters or marvel all the wolf and cat people yes but then like he isn't and cat people but then he hasn't like spoken about to like a couple of episodes later i didn't um i want to know why peggy looks like mel gibson in lethal weapon 2 (laughs) sir (laughs) and why is and why tim why is uh what's his name dynamite man what the fuck i mean wasn't he like a Demon. Yeah, wasn't he man. like a wasn't he like a comic character in like the Great Lake Avengers or something at some point? <laughs> no, no, he was but, uh, all right. He was introduced. You should you should remember this actually, Sean. He okay, was first right. introduced in the the 1980s solo thing story, 
Um, he was a wrestler for the oh, Unlimited God. Class Oh my God! The, right. Yes, you're the UCWF. Right. He was a wrestler for oh, them. But he, yeah, then that he got time frame where he was. Yes, you're right. He got super strength from the Power Broker. Who's the Power Broker? Remember Jessica Jones on Netflix? Yes. Second yes. second season. Yeah. Yes. He got super strength, so he couldn't be a wrestler anymore. Um, and then he became uh, Captain America's partner. During that early Grunewald run where Cap uh, surrendered his his uh, suit and shield to the government. Good God, I remember none of this. <laughs> yeah, he, he did not like the direction the government was trying to point him in. So he said, stick it up your ass. I'm just going to do my own thing. And so he just became known as the captain. That's where you first saw that U.S. agent, uh, black, yes. red, and white suit. He wore that before John Walker did. Wow. And so that was that was Steve Rogers going around in that uniform, uh, having adventures with D-Man and um, uh, who else? Falcon, I think, was in it. Um, so he had, he had a little band of heroes who, um, you know, they were just kind of solo vigilantes. And, oh, um, wow. So he was, like, got he was also known as Demolition Man at one point, right? Yeah, he was known as Demolition Man, and they just shortened it to D-Man. He had a really stupid costume that was sort of like... Wolverine. It was sort of like Wolverine's yeah. and Daredevil's yellow at the same time. It was really weird. Um, and he I got also injured. love that his name is Dennis Dumphy, so you named him D-Man because <laughs> he's got double Ds in his name. I think that's genius. Yes. I, I yeah. love the alliteration of, of comic book characters. Of comic characters, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was kind of like, wait, what's the point of this B storyline? Taking him like, like, just, like, like he's a dog. Just, Let's take him for yeah. a walk in Central Park. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Well, it's yeah. Just and, it's just filling up pages, man. That's yeah. pretty much all it's there for. Like, I couldn't even figure out. I was like, I just like, I just have in my notes, big non-speaking ginger used to be a wrestler. And it's <laughs> like, just a wrestler, yeah. man. Like. He has uh, CTE because um, he was uh, injured in a battle with Flag Smasher. And he ended up getting frozen <laughs> in the Arctic, just like Captain America. But uh-huh. he didn't come out of it so well. He um, he came out of it kind of like catatonic. And um, that's why he does not speak. He has this brain injury, basically. And uh, I don't know that he ever really gets better. Um He's sort of a that was kind of the end of him as a um, functioning character for a while. So, yeah, we're going to follow that thread. We're also going to um, we're going to catch up with Captain America's ex-girlfriend, uh, Ber- Bernadette Rosenthal. That's her Good name. Good Lord Bernie. almighty. Wow. Bernie Short. She um, longtime girlfriend again throughout the 80s. They met and started dating when Steve had more of a civilian life, like when he was doing more stuff just as Steve Rogers. Then she found out he was Captain America. They stayed together. They actually got engaged, but then she moved away to go to law school or something. I was just going to assume like uh, something killed her. Um, With a name like that, she had to be a Jewish lawyer. Come on. Right. She's definitely a Jewish character, um, but later became a lawyer. I think she's still alive. She had become, she sort of left the book for a long time and she's just been 
Yeah, she started in her own movie, Tim. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Oh, my God. <laughs> what, a, what a reference right there. <laughs> Love it. I, I will say, uh, talk, um, I know we're jumping around here, guys. but uh, no, that's, looking at, yeah. We're looking not at going the, issue by issue. That's just yeah. not what we're going to do here. Looking at the covers, um, they're all, like, straight-up 90s covers. But, oh, sure. Uh, the cover for 405, where um, it's... It's all all in red, and like uh, you see Captain America holding up his shield, and yeah. like, you see like his um his suit, but you can see that he's a werewolf. I think is like the best one. Which you know, I, I'm trying to think of like how I would be like Tim. You said you were nine years old. That would have popped off to me on the rack, big um, time. Yeah. So I would have been Absolutely. like, hell yeah. Even though it's like in the middle of the story, like when you're nine years old, you wouldn't have known what was going on. It's like, oh my god, this what is this? Like, let me take a look. So like. That's like one of my favorite um, my favorite covers. I will say, like with the art of um, the story, I think if you grew up reading '80s and '90s comics, you'd be okay with it. But like, as I've told uh, Tim and Sean before, like the 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 art of the '80s and '90s just does not do it for me. Um, mm. I, I, I'm I'm not quite. I, I just like I said, I just think it's like your generation like oh you know it, it's your type of music you listen to quote unquote mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. but like i hey, i just could not get into to the art well let me throw it out there about the art this is kind yeah of i want to talk about the art for sure this is kind of my interpretation of it so they got a two-week window they got to fill they got to yeah. write a story for two weeks every two weeks this has got to come out and what's really noticeable me in this is they take shortcuts in some of the art panels right because oh yeah uh-huh. There's not a lot of color, there's shading, and I think that's done purposely because they have a deadline to meet, and that's one of the reasons why I think the art for me kind of falls very, very flat, because I think that time frame only allows them to do so much, and they're really trying to figure out where they could cut corners. That was my interpretation of the art, Scott, to be honest. So, Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that this is, you know, the, the, fair, the fairest look at... Um, what Rick Levins was normally like as a monthly artist on the series. I kind of, this is going to be maybe my shit take of the whole episode. Um, and that's fine. Uh, I kind of like in Rick Levins, who is not a name you hear very much. He, I don't think he did much outside of Captain America, to be honest with you. Um, he kind of reminds me of a, like a, a Rob Liefeld who was like better at the fundamentals in that so he can draw feet yes great way of putting it um like he knows anatomy like he can get the job done in terms of you know he gets the basics down but he also seems to like drawing big beefy men <laughs> the way that Liefeld does like big muscle dudes you know and um I don't know. Like he definitely takes some, he cuts some corners throughout this story by necessity. I'm sure like there are just panels with no background, just no background whatsoever. And I get it. Like that's all you could really do within the time constraints. But I kind of think his compositions are solid. Like when you just get a good character portrait, taking up an entire panel, like looking at just captain America from head to toe or, or Dr. Druid, like, I think he kind of nails what they should look like in terms of the character models. Um, he's, he's got those big buccaneer boots on cap. Um, 
he seems to put some effort into like really drawing Cap's eyebrows that show through the mask and just little details like that, right? In the um, the chainmail on Cap's um, chest, which in the I guess it's scale mail, really, um, where it's like that. That's a very much like something that is incorporated into his costume by design as a defense. And like, I think he gets those little things right. And I don't know, maybe it's just me and thinking back on how I was first became acquainted with Captain America and what I think he's supposed to look like again during this formative time period in my life. Um, I don't think he's bad. And just, just in terms of the fundamentals, I don't think this story does him many favors, but I'm just going to say, like, I've seen a lot worse in terms of art that's, oh, that's done on a yes. rush job, you know? But even in his transformation, when he, like, at the end, I know, again, I know we're jumping around because we're not going to go line by line for every issue, but even when he transforms out of being a werewolf again, you got his blonde hair all sticking out. He's got this big yeah. freaking blonde beard. Like, there's, like, a lot of detail in that. It's just interesting to see because that's not the Captain America I'm used to seeing. They just make him look right. great. It's, 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 so there is cool aspects of the art. There's a cool transition. He's, like, yeah. a good storyteller. Like, you yes. can follow the movement. There's a lot of kinetic energy in his art. Like, it's it's at, at no point would I say this is hard to follow in yeah. terms of, like, what's going on in this panel? Like, it's just such a blur. I can't tell who's who or what they're trying to trying to get across. Like, it's very clear. And I... I think clarity goes a long way in comics art. So, but they definitely you know, Andy, take some shortcuts in some panels, though, for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah I, for sure. Andy, um, I don't know. Like, you haven't had a lot of exposure to comics art. Did you think this was just trash, or like, is this like impressive to you? What'd you make of this artist? I mean, I thought it was fine. Again, no real frame of reference for me. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was a little confused with the. Um, with all the blue at one point, I'm like, is right. like showing up? Yeah, like, yeah like, that's not, like, that's not good, Andy. That's not good. That's one of the things I'm probably talking about is the that like just them doing that is what yeah. I. You would see a lot of blue highlights to convey black with the yeah. color palette back then. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I could definitely see shortcuts. I mean, for me, the bay, I I, I don't know. The art was the art to me. It was the getting used to reading the comics, you know, style. Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. was my big thing. I was just like, all right, cool. He's he's a wolf now, and then this just thing, sequentially, and, that was your yeah. Kind that of was that was I was I was yeah. I was more focused on the story, I guess, and trying to to wrap my head around it than than the art because I know I know there's different degrees of 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 art and there's different artists and all that. I mean, I thought it was was okay for what it was. I'm trying also, you know, it's third it's thirty years old. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was. It's you got to take that with a grain of salt. Also, oh God, we're we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Man and Wolf, you guys. Wow, who knew that? Wow, just passed that. A, a wow. month ago, really. So, gosh, yeah. Look at us. Um, here's a fun fact for you guys. <laughs> this is insane to me. Um, Doctor Druid, who we've been talking about is a creation of not only Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, okay? Stan first, Jack Kirby first drew him, inked by Steve Ditko. (laughs) So, wow. Lee, Kirby, and Ditko creation. A swing and a miss. 
So, Listen, he like Drew and a member first... of his Agent of Shield, uh, his Nick Fury uh, series back in the day, Mr. Renko. No, so listen, um, Doctor Drew at his first appearance preceded Fantastic Four number one by a few months. <laughs> okay, get the so, fuck, yeah, get out of here. He debuted in an anthology title called um, Amazing Adventures. It would later be known as Amazing Adult Fantasy, which would later be known as Amazing Fantasy, whose last issue is the first appearance of Spider-Man, right? So that started started with uh, Dr. Druid and just a series of, like, little backup stories. He was very similar. His origin was very similar to Dr. Strange. And when that series ended, um, as the... The narrative goes, Stan Lee just forgot about the character himself, but sort of remembered that he liked that origin and he wanted to do another magician type character. And that and Steve Ditko did as well. And that's where they came up with Doctor Strange. So it's one of these deals where and and this would happen a lot in the early days of Marvel. They would have this like prototype character who would have a one appearance, a couple of appearances, would disappear forever, and then another character very similar would be the one that we all know and love today and would appear some years later. So it seemed like that was going to be the case for Dr. Druid. He would just be like a prototype for Dr. Strange, who was never seen again. But Roger Stern actually dusted him off in the 70s, brought him back, by the way, originally um, his name was Doctor Droom, D R O O M, and wow. I guess, <laughs> you know, they figured that was way too close to Doctor Doom. So Stern, when he brought him back in the seventies, changes it to Doctor Druid, and the rest was history. So he he kind of reclaims this character who was probably never meant to be seen again because, again, he basically was a prototype prototype Doctor Strange. And reinvents him, uses him in Avengers, and uh, yeah, that he he uh, goes on to star in this great bi-weekly storyline. And yeah, I mean, uh, so he pre- so he predated dust him off. Yeah, he so he predated Doctor Strange. He predated Doctor Strange. He predated the Fantastic Four. That is insane. He's like Doctor in some Droom. ways the first Doctor Dream, and in some in some ways is the first true Marvel character. When you think of Marvel being what, I mean, I know that they were timely in Atlas and all these other publications before they became known as Marvel comics, but we think of the Marvel age of comics as starting with fantastic four in 1961, right? Well, turns out there is a character who existed before them and still exists today. I mean, he's since been killed off, but you get the idea. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But he's he's a character like I could see them like if he is somewhere, you know, because of of synergy and all that, you know, of the the true value they can get out of a character these days with Marvel being under Disney and all that. Like, okay, well, this is Doctor Druid. Okay, well, he's not part of that deal with Universal with the theme park rights. All right, so let's pop him in a Disney Plus show, and then we could put him in Hollywood Studios. Or, you know, or regardless, he could show up at Avengers Campus. Like, these are all these, you know, all these minor characters that could get mined. That's why we're seeing some of the things we're seeing 
on Disney Plus or in the movies. Yeah. Like just people just get getting introed for a moment, even just so they could you know sell some pop figures or or throw them you know some merch over there in California or whatever. So very yeah, very valid point. I, I think that the MCU's attitude is kind of no character is is too obscure. Like there's just by sheer number, we're never going to see every character that Marvel has published just because it's not possible. But at the same time, nobody's really off limits. So, I mean, we're living in an age where I never thought Agatha Harkness would be a household name, right? Mm-hmm. Like that character is just, you know. So. I, I could see this arc being a what if episode for crying out what if Captain America turned really? into yeah. a werewolf? I mean, right? Do it as a Halloween <laughs> what if, special or something. What if, what if Dr. Druid shows up on Agatha Harkness' TV show? Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, just happen. as like yeah. a callback, just as an Easter yeah. egg or something, you know? Um, you could do that. that. You could. I mean, even. Okay. So, another good example the, the, um, the villain, the scientist uh, Nightshade in this storyline, yes. in a weird way, has kind of been featured in the MCU like I think they maybe got their signals crossed because she a, a character with the same name as um Dr. Nightshade which uh her name as a civilian I guess is uh if I can find it Tilda Johnson and there was a Tilda Johnson in the second season of Luke Cage. I'm watching that she right was, now. I'm like going to say that, that that's uh-huh. um, Mariah's, Mariah's uh, yeah, daughter. daughter. And, no, uh, no, her name is is it is it Hilda? Yes. Yeah, Night, Nightshade was introduced, as, and so she was. But the, to your point, Tim, on the TV show, the TV show Cage, she was the, the comic book character. Was part of Power Man and Iron Fist and all those comics, right? In the, in the 70s, yeah. yeah. Yes. And yeah. she started. Um, she first appeared in like some 70s Captain America story where she was um, create trying to create a werewolf army. The Falcon got turned into a werewolf <laughs> in that yes. story. Yeah. So this is Grunewald, this, and this is something that Mark Grunewald would do because of his encyclopedic knowledge of these characters. He would go. Why would I create a new character when I know that this one already exists and hasn't been featured in a, in a while? So he would just dust them off, bring them back. Um, Nightshade was, was actually the scientist in that previous story I talked about, the superior stratagem with the, um, the, the supremacist uh, female agenda of um, turning Captain America into a woman and also um, releasing a bomb that would sterilize all men. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, All right, so the, nat- the next natural thing to do is to turn them into werewolves. Yes, then you got to turn them into <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's why she mentions at the very end, there's that little stinger where Cap goes, oh, so she's still loyal to her old boss. He's referring to uh, Superior, the, the last year's biweekly <laughs> story. So I don't know where they were trying to go with that, but I guess um, her so, loyalty... So Tim, I'm reading up on her... So- have you ever heard of Superior's Femazons? Is that, yes, I guess that was, okay. That was her team, her all women team of supervillains who the she Femazons. recruited. The Femazons, yeah, they were on a giant cruise ship. Um, it was all women. That's why Captain America had to dress in drag. He and another character called Paladin, um, a, a really obscure kind of D-lister supporting character, 
Uh, that's what these bi-weekly stories would do. They, they would be a big collection of a lot of guest stars, right? A lot of different characters. So it's Cap and his, his buddy Paladin. They have to go undercover um, dressed as women in part of this story. And uh, yeah, uh, Superior, er, she catches on to them and um, puts them in these these tanks and says, Dr. Nightshade, I want you to feminize these men. Because women are the superior. I, I'm going to read that. I got to read that it's, story. It's another six-parter. Um, I have like one issue of it. I've never read the entire thing end to end. So wow. that's one that maybe we'll have to we'll have to do for the show down the line. I mean, it, it's going to also have a ton of characters. So yeah, that'll be that'll be. And I think uh, also some more great Rick Levin's art as well. So. That's Nightshade. Wow. Oh, the other connection to Nightshade and the MCU, uh, Killmonger's girlfriend in Black Panther. Yes. Her yep. name, she had the same name. She wasn't called Nightshade or anything, but she had, again, that same name of Tilda Johnson. I think they changed it when they realized, oh, shit, we've already used her in Luke Cage. Yes. It's sort of like, oh, which one is which? Which one of these is really, which one of these characters is really supposed to be Nightshade? And, and I think, doesn't that character get killed in Black yes. Panthers? Yes. I guess she's off the board, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't know if we'll ever see her in any significant form in any way that like she's depicted here as Dr. Nightshade or the queen of the werewolves, whatever you want to call her. But she's got an MC, a big MCU connection, so yeah, she is a doctor and she's like a herbologist. I'm I'm okay, like almost two thirds of the way through season two, so she's the one that uh, that Bushmaster goes to uh-huh. and gets the herbs that um, I guess stuns Luke. Stuns Luke Cage, as he says. Okay, excellent. So, um, God, what else do we have here? So a, co- so a couple I, other things. Uh, the, what, the other thing I did not know. So another tie-in. The yep. K- Kun La is that the name of the mystical city Iron Fist is like the protector of or whatever. It's oh called? yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who knew that that also had its own werewolf? I did not know. I you know that. what I I didn't look that character up. I don't even know if that's an established character or if they just invented. Her name, they give her the name Ferocia. Let me. Yes. I want to Google so, that right that now. That is so. So every That's werewolf insane. character. So yeah. you got one from Kula. You got Wolfsbane. You got uh, mm-hmm. what? Feral, I guess, from. Uh, Who was a cat person. Yeah, a cat person yes. from X Force. Yeah, I don't know why she would be. So I guess Tigra didn't qualify because she's not wolf. She's a cat, right? So you couldn't bring it Yeah, tiger. but you, you got Feral, but not Tigra. Yeah, that's an interesting. I don't know. You know Maybe Tigra lost her powers or something at this point. I don't know. And you brought up Werewolf by Night, who really is like the main cusp, like main werewolf that came out like in the 70s. That's an afterthought. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then. The random cable appearance shows up because he's just so following Farrell, and then he shoots Farrell. Like, yes, this is so much confusion in this freaking comic. It's amazing. There's so much going on. It's like I they were we use, yeah. It's gotcha. like they were deciding to throw like random like characters. Like, oh, we don't have that many wolf characters. All right, well, Cable's <laughs> on a team with uh, what's her face? We'll send her. Feral. Yeah, uh, yeah, Feral. Wolverine. Uh-huh. 
he's sort of a wolf. There's it's sort of in his name. Right. We'll send right. him, and then we. But no saber tooth. Who's yeah? Again, but then is, he, is that like, because he's a cat? Oh. Like. <laughs> And we have Wolfsbane, who was in the New Mutants. Then we have Werewolf by Night. By the uh, way, we have Jay, we have Jonas Jameson's kid. That, by the way, I had no fucking clue that he was even a wolf to begin with till I read this. Yeah, you know, oh, it's yeah. great. It's it's man it's quite wolf. the impressive collection of wolves. <laughs> this is Mark Grunewald. He just man, he he knows this shit. So and he, he, he does the same history. thing with. He did the same thing with the Serpent Society. He said, oh, shit, we've got really a lot of snake-themed characters here in the Marvel Universe. What if I what if I put all them together in a team? And so he creates the ideas that they are this the first um, supervillain um, trade union. So they, they are... They are organized. Um, they have uh, uh, guaranteed employment contracts with benefits. Um, they don't really. They're not really that devoted to to um, what they do. It's just like this is a job, right? And it's like, well, if you got snake powers, come join the the Serpent Society. We got work for you, kind of thing. It's really a, a fun concept. It really is so, pretty impressive that he's able to take these. Like this this comic, one thing that's really cool about it is he takes all these what I would say C your D list characters in the history of mm. Marvel, and yeah. he really integrates them. And I know how he gets there it might be seem weird and it's pretty random, but it's pretty impressive that he gets them in this book because I never in a million years would have thought you would have had this collection of these kind of characters in a Captain America story arc. It's pretty impressive actually. So well, and let's face it, um, gratuitous Wolverine appearances are a hallmark of nineties comics. Cable at two. least Gr- Cable Two. At least Grunewald came up with a good excuse to actually use Wolverine in an organic way in his story. Cable is quite the stretch again because yes. Cable is only here because Cable is popular. How do we get Cable into the story? Well, it's a collection of wolf-themed people. Feral is a cat person, which is kind of like a wolf. So we'll have her show up for two panels. And Cable is just following her. <laughs> so very, and then he very shoots tenuous. her and stuns her and then <laughs> he goes and explores her, yeah. what's going on. Yes. And yeah. then yeah, it goes and tracks. So that's a very, very um loose thread. But it it gets another popular character into the story. So again, we've got this this bi-weekly format. Uh so more eyes on the title. It's followed on the heels of a major crossover, which is naturally gonna give it a boost. Um it's a very high concept story. Again, Captain America turning into a werewolf. Great gimmick. Uh, great elevator pitch. And all of these very popular guest stars. It's really throwing every gimmick you possibly can at this thing to gin up the sales, right? Yeah. And uh, I have to imagine it probably worked. I mean, these things... Usually, you didn't even have to put that much effort into selling your comics in the early '90s, but yeah. this one really goes all out. So, can we I, uh, I would... talk about the writing too? Just I mean, yeah. again, I know, I know, I know we're running long, but the writing for me is interesting because there is some really bad dialogue in this, and I yeah. know that's yeah, like. The one guy, what's his name? Dreadman, was that his name? The main guy? Dread, the, yes, Dreadman or Cromwell. So, Dreadman Cromwell or, yeah. So Dreadman the big grand finale of this is he takes this, what's it called? The moon, like, I can't remember. The moon gem. Takes the, the moon, moon gem. gem, which, by the way, has been powered by Dr. Drew and Slit Throat, which is another yes. cool thing. And then he becomes the Star Wolf. And he turns and he stands up 
he does this whole like Shakespearean like speech about I am Star Wolf, embrace your animalness, and there's like your animal, your inner animalness, yes, yes. There, I mean, the, I can't help but the writing in this, Tim, for me is so almost cringe for me sometimes. I, I'd be curious to hear what everybody where, else thinks, but it's very cringe for me. I almost part of me, and again, this is maybe me, me being too charitable. I almost wonder if this is Grunewald kind of mocking that very verbose Shakespearean like Claremont dialogue that you, so you think he's I mean, doing it on purpose maybe just I kind of think that part yeah. I, th- I kind of think that part of it is a little bit wink wink at the reader um because it is so over the top and it's I mean he had to know like that transformation sequence where Dreadman uh puts the, uh, the moon gem on his throat and becomes this cosmic werewolf. Um with stars in him, by the way. He's all with black. stars all Star, yeah, with like, like the cosmos like, all over his, his body. I, I don't even know what and, that is. And he just randomly says, I am Star Wolf. Like Well, does that not like? evoke <laughs> does that not evoke Jean Grey's transformation into the Phoenix, right? Yeah. Where she's like, I am fire and life incarnate, I am Phoenix. That whole Thing. But that made sense because Phoenix was like this crazy ass sure. like, woman, right? This one was just like, I know. Listen, I know if I like slit a guy's throat, take the <laughs> stone or whatever you call it or gem, whatever the fuck it is, and turn into this universal wolf with star. Like I'm immediately going to say, "Hey, look at me! I'm Star Wolf!" Like it's just so random. It, yeah, but that's where I think like that's such a Chris Claremont thing. The characters like dramatically declaring their names and stuff like that. I don't know. I feel like I, I just I would love to a lot of other Scott. I would love to hear there too. Yeah, I would love like, to hear. Like yeah, Thundercats, I am Mumra. I mean, it's, it's been uh-huh. in, it happens ever. My, my thing again, like I said, like I had to get used to like inner monologues and things like that. But when when Cap was a wolf, I all I have in my head is he's talking like Mungo from Blazing Saddles. <laughs> <laughs> I was like Cap, uh, you know, have to go there. He's friend. Ah, uh, but word, resist. Can't say word. I'm like what? This is hurting my brain. Like, yes. uh, like I've I've been along for the ride until now, and I'm just like, ow. <laughs> shiny thing, shiny thing. Mine. Take. <laughs> Mongo only pawn in game of life. What the <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's um, Scott. Were you gonna say something? I, I just thought the dialogue was campy, and to be honest, I mm-hmm. thought that was just another byproduct of the time. But like hearing uh, you guys say how, you know, uh, with the X Men run and Claremont would be like, uh, you know, Claremont word bubbles. Claremont word bubbles were, I mean, you would spend two they hours were an assault X Men book in the day. They, yeah, they could kind of be an assault to the senses, honestly. Um, and I, I could be way off base in thinking. Grunewald was doing it just kind of as a joke. Like that may be me just, I don't know, um, reading too much into it, but I could, I, I don't know. I could just see him doing that is all. But um, I will say like uh, Andy brought it, like sort of brought it up. Like when he was talking about um, one of the eighties cartoons, but it felt like yeah. cart- cartoony where they yes, were like, yes. let me tell you my plan before you can stop yes. me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, very snidely whiplash. Twirling yeah, well, the Andy brought up a really good point about like the Mumbra was a really good comparison, by the way, Andy. So 
I am Star Wolf, I am Umbra, and it reminded me of every 80s cartoon trope I can remember. Andy, spot on with that analogy. Very well done. That was really right on. There's also... And and you'll hear lots, sorry, Tim, you'll hear lots of those on cartoons of our youth. Cheap plug. (laughs) I like Very organic plug, though. I like that. Um, You know, there's also a bit of circular logic here in what Dreadman slash Star Wolf is trying to accomplish, right? So what is he doing? He's taking over this town of Starksboro. He's turned everyone into werewolves. Why has he done that? Let's just say because he's a real nutter, right? He's just nuts. And uh, he he wants the, the moon gems that he can become the ultimate cosmic werewolf. Okay, I'm still sort of with you, but the only way to, like, I guess, activate the moon gem is to spill the blood of another mystic so that you can then imbue yourself with its powers. And it's like, well, that wouldn't have happened if not for the fact that Captain America yes. was investigating the disappearance of his friend and just so happened to um, choose the next best thing and not Dr. Strange, but Dr. Druid, who he dragged along on this little mission. It's like, boy, was that awfully convenient that uh, Dreadman's one um rival who is kind of the key to unlocking the powers of the the moon gem is along for the ride here so that's that's sort of that feels very like making it up as we go along right and then drew and heal in his throat through like sheer willpower or whatever the fuck <laughs> yes, he said. through meditation uh-huh. yes. I, I one thing too like i'm starting to think that taking over a town is a trope also I mean, it happens in, in WandaVision. Oh. I'm, I, I think it happened in G.I. Joe at least once. Oh, Andy, another cheap trope for the cartoons yeah. of our youth because we might be watching something that encompasses that thought, what you just said. Yeah, see, there you wow. go. Yeah, taking over town yeah. is, ver- is a very convenient plot device because it separates you from the real world uh-huh. and it keeps you kind of insulated. And that, that explains why, like, you know, nobody else is involved in this story, and but yet you can introduce randos yeah. all you want. This made-up town called Starksboro and Mass—it's a nice place to live, you guys. That's what the sign like, says. GI Joe Springfield can't oh, be yeah. any worse than Worcester. So Worcester, oh god, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think a uh, uh, Starksboro Seven looks like? Is what kind of werewolf would that? Mangy. Might want to ask that question. <laughs> um. I think we also have to acknowledge that Captain America as a werewolf is sort of adorable. He looks um, more like a a really nice collie that you want to pet, more so (laughs) than a ferocious monster. You you can tell um, that's the one they put all the effort into, because the rest of uh, them look like ones you would, like, run over you with your car and keep going. But with this, you, like, get out and be like, I need help to help with this wolf. So, uh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and exactly. that he can fight, and he can still command his senses because of whatever. What the is super arm, serum. His yeah. serum, his serum fights off the effects of full wolfness. Yes. Sort of, sort yes. of, yeah, sort of, sort of. But uh, but he's also like way more powerful than the other. Where I will say that um, I was getting kind of. I think I mentioned it earlier. If you've seen um, the Howling, any of those, I mean, it's a whole franchise, but. The werewolf designs in that movie and series of movies kind of very similar to the werewolves we see, just kind of the random werewolves that we see in this story. Um, so I don't know. I sort of, again, 
as a horror junkie, I kind of appreciated that. Even if they're a little bit low effort, it's like, eh, it's fine. Um, so that's fun. Uh, I would like to last, as far as like characters, the one we haven't talked about so far, uh, Moon Hunter, you guys, um, mm. does it get any more nineties than this dude? Who's like, he's, he's this obnoxious, he's got this obnoxious motor mouth dialogue, which is he looked like clearly, Lobo. yeah, riffing on Lobo or Deadpool. Yeah. Um, He's a '90s trope. He is your classic '90s. He's trope. such a he's like, such yeah. a yeah anti and like he's kind of turns yeah. out to be an anti-hero kind of character at the end. He's being mind controlled. You gotta have spikes in the '90s. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and going back to the uh, terrible writing, he he has a line in the second issue. I have it written down that says, "Bad doggy, you are given the full moon a bad name." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, that's it's just so bad. I love it. Yeah, and um, he's got um, barbed wire for hair. It looks like mm-hmm. um, a bandolier full of knives, uh, a whip. You gotta have a whip. Um, he's just got everything. Again, your little you fl- flying glider. Your flying glider. Your, yep, yep. Your yeah. sky cycle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a big Greenwald trope too, by the way. Oh yeah, everybody's got a sky. <laughs> Hawkeye, Cap, mm-hmm. uh, Moon Hunter. They all have sky cycles. Yep. Yep. Um, but I, I sort of like how at the end we learn that um, he's actually not really a bad guy. He was just being controlled by uh, Dreadman, um, <laughs> similar to similar to Wolverine. This guy actually, believe it or not, Moon Hunter will. So John Jameson quits as Cap's pilot kind of abruptly. Yeah. The reason for this, the reason for this, I understand, um, is that the Spider-Man office wanted him back. They were like, eh, this guy really shouldn't be a well, Captain America character. And by the way, I wanted to, I was going to say something about it. You brought it up as far as my final thought on this kind of plot line. In the end, the whole started because he had to go find Jameson. And in the end, Jameson's yes. like, you know what, Cap? Fuck you. I can't really be around you people anymore. <laughs> yeah, so it's I'm, really wonky, I quit. right? So it goes for Garo to Garo. Cap puts all this effort to find him. And the guy's basically like, I'm fucked off. I can't be around you hero people anymore. That may Yeah, be like he's yeah. threatened because being an astronaut is, like, not cool enough because um, the superheroes I'll never, are so I'll never much... be cool enough to be a superhero, so I'm It's, out. like, really, yeah, it's, like, a really thin... <laughs> Like, yeah. why didn't they just say, hey, I'm really rattled by this experience. I think I need some therapy or something. I don't know. Like, they could have come up with anything. But suffice to say, um, because of that, Zachary Moonhunter becomes Cap's new pilot. So he gets John Jameson's job as a result of this. Well, and um, then they, and they kind of tease that in the epilogue issue that yeah. I was unaware that I had to read seven. That was my epilogue. <laughs> yes, yeah, you had to read part seven of six. Yeah, yeah because well, that's... Cap's like, like, oh, you're really good with these things. Oh, gee, I wonder where we're going with this, Cap. You got to see uh-huh. you know, they're very obvious about where they're going with it, you know? Uh, uh, right. I keep referencing, like, other cartoons, but he kind of looks like Cobra Commander, Destro, a Dreadnought, and Batman. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Batman all got thrown in a blanket. Because he got, like, a bat utility belt going. He's got the Cobra Commander mask, but he's got, like, you know, the outfit of, like, a Dreadnought, and he's got, like, a fro. Like, what's going on and- here? Flowing locks. <laughs> and unmasked, he kind of looks like Rick Martell for some reason. So um, maybe he probably likes girls and cars then. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So that's the other thing about this: they don't even resolve the story within the six parts that it's presented in. Um, we have to read that quote-unquote epilogue issue in order for Cap to actually get cured of his werewolfism. 
I felt like uh, it was false advertising because it said a little bit. Six, six and at the end it's like a drastic end to six. It's just like a hard cutoff, right? It's just Oh, by the way, read Daniel. the next next issue. It's the epilogue. You motherfuckers. You lied. It was, <laughs> it was like, you know. that, I'm sorry. That is not an epilogue if you're resolving how Cap actually yes. gets back to normal. And It was not an epilogue. Yeah. It was part seven is what it was. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's like the first 15 issues of that are devoted to wrapping up this story. <laughs> Uh, and then we go back to like Diamondback and Crossbones, and now they're on Skull Mountain, and they're dealing with the skeleton. So we're we're ramping up for the next story, right? We're we are in that transition. It is a transitional issue, but in the meantime, we also have to deal with the Infinity War. It must serve as an Infinity War tie-in. So we're still getting that money. We're still getting that damn money coming in. Yeah, People they jump right out of this and right into the next arc or Infinity War. Like, they don't waste any uh-huh. time. They're done. Let's move on. So. And the central gimmick of the Infinity War, if you've read one tie-in, you've read them all, is that a character suddenly is attacked by their evil cosmic doppelganger, who isn't alive, by the way, so they're free to, quote-unquote, kill them. And, uh, yeah. Like, um, that's pretty much the story of the Infinity War. It's uh, it's not good. It's not good at all. Shoot, we'll probably my mind it. hurts. That was a lot to take into. That's a lot of stuff happening in this story. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's heavy. I mean, what did I tell you? It, you didn't think we'd have to cover this much, but we really it's do. Because it's, it's just dense with characters and subplots and context and it's just it's heavy so you know i feel I, like during this conversation i've changed my mind on how i feel about this story and you love it and you really do love I it. i really I don't did, dislike, I, did, like, I, I think Captain i did I think it changed my mind. yeah yeah i pop i did yeah. pop for that you know because you pop was, for what i'm sorry for captain wolverine fighting I did, yeah I did that. that was the first issue of this i picked up right how can you not go for a cap wolverine dust up and yeah. uh I love the cover of that issue too, with the the logo being slashed, you know, by by yes. Wolverine's claws. It looks really cool. So that again caught my eye in the comic store as as nine year old kids saying, "Holy shit, Captain America and Wolverine fighting!" This is, you know, if I want to read Captain America and this is this is what it's like, then I'm hooked, dude. And they're gonna turn him into a werewolf. Fuck yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep. So, all right, that is, that's it, you guys. That is Captain America, Man and Wolf, otherwise known as Cap Wolf. So we've got to wrap it up here. Um, you know, to to kind of conclude here, would you, Sean, recommend this story to um, anyone? <laughs> com- coming into tonight, before we started recording, I would have said, no, the writing's bad, the art's questionable, not a chance, but... If you really go back to a moment in time and something different that they tried to do, and then just the sheer amount of characters that are, like I said, D-list, that they integrate into the story and suspend your disbelief of how ridiculous it is, I kind of think you got to check it out. I, I mean, and and I really appreciate the way we did this tonight. I know it's a pilot because it totally changed my thought process around this book and why you should check it out. So I think you should, because I don't think you're going to find another Captain America story arc, anything like this at all. Not in that time frame in the nineties either. This is something really unique. So I'm going to go. Yes. Okay. It's a yes from Sean. Kind of surprisingly Schiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I get a yes out of you? I don't know. Um, if 
I would say no, but if you want to read a quirky story yes. that I don't think will ever be brought up much again besides like random one-offs, right. I would check it out. Um, but I, I feel if this little series was four issues instead of seven, mm-hmm. I think it mm-hmm. would be better if they tightened it up. But that's just a product of the time. Marvel's making money hand over fist, so what the hell do I know? But um, I would say like if you want to check it out do it but it's not required reading yeah it could definitely be more structurally sound i would agree with that 100 percent. andy as your introduction to the world of <laughs> comics uh are, are you looking forward to coming back and would you um yeah recommend it, that other people start with this? I, I, I mean look if you have if you go in with an open mind and have no frame of reference and 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 just use it as like you're learning the format. It's it's fine for that, and you know there were some cool things to it. Of course, you know I'm sitting here going, "Who's this person and what's that? Uh-huh. What what's happening here?" But it, it, I said it was a it, it's a fun story. It, if if you leave it in its own little bubble, you know it, I I mean I'm looking forward to to uh, you know reading stuff for the pod and, and maybe you know getting some recommendations on other things I should just check out. That I might like, or maybe you know, I mean, I would definitely recommend. I'm gonna, you know, I I signed up for Marvel Unlimited, so it's I'm gonna have her for a while. So I'm gonna tell yeah. the, you know, I'll tell the kids to check them out because you know why not? Dylan Dylan's got a whole his own little comic collection that. There you go. Lord knows if he, I don't know if he reads them or not. He just has them, <laughs> but but uh, you know, I'll tell him, hey, check this out. I read it for the pod. You might like it and see what he says. Yeah. And, you know, Andy, I'm not known for coming in with open mind on anything. No. I mean, but, so <laughs> the fact that it kind of changed my mind going into this as we talked through it and kind of like the history of the comics and like, Tim, kind of you going through history of some of the characters, that changed my thought around it. So it just shows that you can't teach an old dog new tricks and take someone with a shit take and change their mind sometimes. That's what happened here for me tonight. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing for me is that – um I don't know that I would recommend this to like an adult for their, you know, introduction to comics unless they were maybe willing to do some homework. Right. Which is maybe asking a lot, maybe asking too much of someone. I get that. But if you had like what we've pretty much done on this podcast, if you had like an annotated guide to the story, which answers these questions of who the hell is this character? Why is this person appearing? Why is this subplot happening what does this have to do with anything if you kind of had that in front of you that just sort of blow by blow very briefly said oh by the way this is what this is about right it would make it go down a little bit easier um so again i don't know that i I would voice this on someone as as their first (laughs) introduction to the world of comics but if you're willing to put in a little work if or if you're a more seasoned comics reader then yeah, absolutely. Take a look. It's it's um, it's entertaining as hell. It's not it's not going to leave you bored. I mean, I I think it's a pretty quick read. You're not mm-hmm. going to find it you know tedious or dragging or anything. It's a little long, sure, but um, it it does move as you sit down to actually read it. Um, you know, and I came into this again as a nine year old kid, and I think being exposed to all these characters for the first time and not knowing one from another and not having that frame of reference was sort of beneficial in a way, because it's like, I didn't care that I didn't know who this was. It's like, of course I don't know who this was. I don't know who anyone is. And 
I think Grunewald was sort of savvy and, and recognizing I can do all this. I can throw all this into one story because a comics are still largely written for kids and B kids don't give a shit about not getting all the details the first time around. They just want a cool story and to be able to piece things together as they go. And as long as they can do that, it's fine. You know, they'll, they'll catch up as, as we go. And um, that's maybe the benefit that kids have over adults. Um, so what is the legacy of this story? Well, not a lot. I mean, there have been alternate reality depictions of Steve as Cap Wolf throughout the Marvel multiverse, right? Um, and he's also been represented in other media. There's um, apparently a Lego Marvel superheroes. Which, that was which released I've played, and I'm trying to remember the character. <laughs> yeah, don't remember him in there, huh? I've never played it. I'm just... I I, I I honestly love the Lego games. Uh, they are they are fun yeah. and goofy, and you know they try to follow the storylines too of some of the some of the movies. So it it is kind of fun. You get to play some of the things you see in the MCU, or or they they and they have characters in these that I had no I have no idea. I only know them from mm-hmm. the from the Lego game. Fing Fang Foom or whatever the hell his name is. Oh and, yeah, Giant Dragon. Yeah, yeah, Giant Dragon. I'm all there for that. And there are other ones. Yeah, but Dragon I, Man. I'm trying to. Re- I'm trying to Dragon remember. Dragon Man, giant android dragon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm trying, um, I'm trying to remember that though, and I might. I might pop that in the PlayStation at some point soon. <laughs> there's a uh, Funko Pop of Gap Wolf, which is pretty uh. funny. Um, and I know that there is a there's a Marvel Legends Captain America figure. I don't know what line or when it was released, but somewhat fairly recently, I feel like, where he has uh, the figure has alternate. At least an alternate head, which is a werewolf, and I think he has alternate hands as well for for a werewolf. So you can kind of recreate um, Cap Wolf in action figure form if you're a Marvel Legends collector. Uh, if you want to, you can read this story on Marvel Unlimited, as as Adney Etherton did. Uh, if you want to read it in physical media, there was a... <laughs> Believe it or not, a trade published of this in January of 2011. I gather it's probably out of print by now. Looks like it's retailing on Amazon for around $65. Kind of yeah, steep. Yeah. Okay, that's ridiculous. I would not pay Kind of steep, but if you yeah. must have it in physical media form, there's that. Um, I don't know. There's probably some Captain America collections, omnibuses, mm. stuff like that, where maybe this is caught up in there but i'd have to research that for further uh you can also get single issues on kindle or comiXology um so yeah marvel unlimited probably your best bet here if you do want to read the story which is good value for your money but that's it guys so we have accomplished our pilot we have talked man and wolf hope we're all feeling good about continuing this so if we have the ratings and the downloads to support it. Uh, Sean, is there anything you would like to promote and put out to the world, other places people can find you, uh, other podcasts? Um, yeah, on the uh, North-South feed, uh, that's, you know, North-South Connection, uh, my main pod over there that I do with Mr. Shiflet is the seven months of danger at this point, uh, where we're going through the history of the Dangerous Alliance at WCW. We are now into 92 and i think our next episode is um by the time this comes out will be star k 91 so a pretty pretty much pretty much emphasis uh dumpster fire in itself so uh we look forward to talking about that um 
And you can randomly find me on other pods as well, but that would be the main one that you can see find me on. Okay. Any social media accounts that uh, oh, folks uh, can chat you up on? Uh, yes. Uh, you can find me uh, at Sam E. Dangerously <laughs> on Twitter because I changed it after I canceled my last pod. Yes. <laughs> Sam E. Dangerously. Yes. All right. Yes. Excellent. Scott Shiflett, uh, other podcasts that you appear on in social media, anything you would like to promote, sir? Um, hey, by the way, yeah, sorry, Sean, I, Sean it, Danger. It, I had to look it up. Sorry. Yeah, it's Sean E. Danger. Uh, Sean E. Danger. Oh, sorry, okay. I'm very tired. Sean E. Danger. I okay. just changed it last week, so I did not know it, and I feel like an idiot. Go ahead. I don't know why he's it's, called it's himself okay. Sam. But I don't know. You're talking about Captain America, and I was thinking of Falcon. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I pulled a shift. Brain yeah, that, that was rough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can be found on, um, as Sean said, on the No So feed with Seven Months of Danger. It's uh, a lot of fun. But I can also be found on the wrestling feed where I am a part of the quartet and sometimes a quintet with mm-hmm. uh, for YouTube Roulette where it's like Mystery Science Theater 3000 with uh, random wrestling matches on YouTube. Uh, we're a lot of fans of DMV Dory Funk, so um, that that's been a lot of fun. And I can be found on Twitter at Scott underscore Shiflet, Sammy Shiflet. Yep. Yes. <laughs> All right, Andy Atherton. Uh, any podcast for you, sir? Social media. Um, well, what do you want the people to know? Y'all know this is my primary home since I kind of run the place. Uh, you know, the, that's right. Uh, trying to get into like a regular rotation where I do uh, most shows once every six to eight weeks. So, you know, new shows coming, Cartoons of Our Youth, plus, uh, you know, Laugh in Theater uh, coming soon will be the uh, the Christmas episodes, which are group watches. Those are always a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. Um, and every Wednesday night, pretty much I'm on Stream Lounge, alternating between Blockbuster Rewatch, which is MCU, and going to be doing some random blockbusters before diving into star wars and on the other weeks it's laughing theater covering pixar films i'm up to as of this recording ratatouille was my last one and i'm um, having a great time and those all get released as pods at a later date uh, pop goes to classics that is the disney uh rewatch pod where uh, we're going through the anime classics our next episode will be hercules as well as uh, the Muppet Pod. Did I say that right? That's coming uh, soon. Miranda and I will be recording that. And um, every day, every weekday, is the Video Jukebox Song of the Day. That is a short little pod blast to start your day where somebody, usually me or Steve Riddle, uh, watch a music video on YouTube and talk about the video, the song, whatever we feel like talking about with the uh, with playing underneath it. And on the, the Place Nation Wrestling Network, my newest show that I'm co-hosting with The Mud Pie, Lou and Crosland, where it, we just had our pilot episode for that, and it's called Who's Next, with the E being small, we're covering modern-day NXT to complement the other very fine NXT show mm-hmm. on the feed, which I'm sure Tim will promote. Yeah, check that out uh, oh, yes. monthly from Logan and I. And uh, a place to be on Facebook. Uh, I don't do the Twitter, really, so... Uh, if you want to follow me, go ahead. You ain't going to see nothing, but yes, I, I would encourage folks to, um, check out your watch alongs on streamlounge.io that you mentioned. So if you're not familiar with stream lounge, it's a very cool service, uh, where you can find Andy, uh, very active over there and you can 
watch along with them. You can chat him up. There's a little chat feature built into it, whatever you want to do um, to make it interactive and fun. Or you can just watch them after the fact um, because they're all still just posted there on, again, stream streamlounge.io. Uh, all right, as for me, I have a pair of wrestling podcasts on Place to be Nation Wrestling, so look for Place to be Nation Wrestling. It's a dedicated podcast feed. Uh, Andy alluded to it. The NXT show that I do over there is called PTB NXT with my dear friends Jennifer Smith and Jacob Williams, uh, chronologically going through all of the NXT TVs on the network, starting from the year 2014, where... Uh, kind of in the springtime months of 2015 now, heading into that takeover, the rematch between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens coming up. Um, so that's going to be a fun little journey to take along with us. Uh, I also do a show called Talkin' WCW. That is with, again, Jennifer Smith and Greg Phillips. Both of these, uh, I remind you, at Place Be Nation Wrestling. You can find me also doing a Beverly Hills 90210 episode by episode uh, retrospective with uh, JT Rosero. That is on the podcast feed called 9021 Noso. So it's its own thing. Again, just search 9021 Noso with your preferred podcatcher app. You will find that. We are closing out the the uh, summertime season of, se- of season two. So... Um, all the, all the fun shenanigans with, with the Beach Club. Uh, we're just getting through that, and we're about to meet a pretty important character within 90210, 90210 lore, that being Emily Valentine. How about that? Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, I have threatened to do another Talk and Pop with Jennifer Smith. If we do that, it will appear on the North-South Connection podcast network so north south connection um you may find another episode of the rarely released talking pop with me and jenny um if twitter still exists by the time you're hearing this uh you will find me i am at psych 68 cyke 68 on twitter and that's pretty much going to do it guys um, thank you for indulging me as we talked Cap Wolf on this pilot. I had a great time. I hope you did as well. I hope the listeners really enjoyed this, even if you know you've never heard of this story, never read it. I hope you got something out of it, and I hope you're looking forward to more. And for Andy Atherton, for Sean Kidd, for Scott Shiflet, I am Tim Capel. We will see you next time. Fingers crossed.